Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fight on Montana. I am your host, Adam Healy. I would just like to let the listeners know to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Very, very important rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and I believe iTunes as well, and TuneIn. So also feel free to get a hold of us on our social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter at Fight on Montana. You can also find us on uh, Instagram at Fight on Montana and also our Facebook page at Fight on Montana as well. So make sure you check that out. Get a hold of us. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But let's get to the more important things. Let's not skip a beat. Let's get into our episode today. We have the very great privilege and pleasure to have a former Grizz on the show today. He was a linebacker between the the years 2013 to 2015. He is Kendrick Van Akron. Hey, how's it going, Adam? Good, how are you? I'm good. Hey, Kendrick, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and and talking about your career and so thank you for your time yeah no doubt man it's it's always fun to do something like this so so what are you up to these days um i am currently in corvallis i'm a graduate assistant at oregon state for the football team working mostly with the linebackers um me and my wife are out here i got married last summer and congratulations yeah she's she's a grizz too so she was a uh she did track for the grizz track and field did some of the jumping sports while I was there. So, you know, we got a Grizz household. We actually got a puppy last, I want to say it was last November, December, um, named Grizz. And so we got him and then we got one other dog, Chico, who's who she actually adopted in Missoula. So we're just we're just a full family of Grizz and and Missoula. All in our nice. Blood. Nice. How are you liking Corvallis? It's awesome. You know, it's nice. it's very similar to Missoula. Um, for those of the listeners who have been to Missoula and lived in Missoula, the downtown's a little different. It's not as exciting as Missoula. A <laughs> um, little, little more family feel around here, but it's definitely very similar. It's a small college town, um, and and people love love their beavers out here, which is awesome. Awesome, awesome. So, in high school, did you play the uh, quarterback or running back, or did you play like a some type of rat, uh, run pass option? Um, so I played quarterback. We were actually a wing T team. Mostly we okay. had some spread aspects to our offense, um, that we kind of added in when I was a freshman and more so my sophomore and junior year that we started to use a lot in my junior and senior years. Um, but I just played quarterback on offense. Um, we ran the ball probably 95% of the time. And so I didn't need to throw the ball. I could throw the ball decent. I wasn't a, uh, high level quarterback to where I was good at reading defenses and things like that. I just was the kid who was smart enough to call the plays and, and I could throw a decent deep ball. So that's what they had me do. Nice. Nice. And and you did play both, both sides of the ball. Did you play safety on the other side of the ball? Yes. Played just safety. Um, we had a bunch of different packages. We actually, I had a lot of def- different defensive coordinators when I was in high school. And so we had a couple different defenses we ran and, one of them going into my senior year, we had Chris Beak, who actually left us to go coach for the 49ers. Oh, wow. um, and so we had his 
defense in which I was kind of all over the field, mostly safety, but I would walk up in the box. I'd play on the edge a little bit. And then we actually had James Hasty, who's up for uh, the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year, um, who stepped in as our defensive coordinator once Coach Beak left. And so we we had a pretty complicated defense in high school, and so it was fun playing safety for those guys because I kind of kind of got to do everything. It wasn't just you know sit back and cover the deep third or the deep half or deep quarter. It was you know you can blitz. You're part of the run fits. You know you're coming down on the left side, right side, middle. You know doing all that kind of stuff. So it was it was pretty fun playing safety in those defenses though. Got to do a lot. That's awesome. Do you think it's harder uh, nowadays um, trying to play both sides of the ball? Yeah, um, I I do. I think one of the issues that we ran into when I was in high school is we actually um, we went down to Texas and played Katie, who's one of the you know all time winningest high school programs. Um, and then the next week we came back and played Grant, who had some some guys that Shaq Thompson was on that team, James Sample. There were some they had a running back who was really good. Um, I think his last name was Butler. I don't remember what happened to him, but there were a lot of really good players on both those teams. And we were a team of, you know, maybe 60 players. And I would say probably six or six or seven guys were playing both ways. Um, And so it was really hard for us. We went down to Texas and there's a team of 100 plus. Not a single one of them played both ways. Um, You had backups who were rotating in the game um, on each side of the ball. So they were fresh the whole game. We got through the first half and we were like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> we got a whole nother half to play. We're in Texas. It's hot. It's a hundred degrees. It was a lightning oh. storm and a hundred degrees the night before the humidity is insane. Um, and so we were, we were a team of, of really probably 20 people who were really playing in that game versus wow. a team of probably close to 60 who were playing. Um, and so I think with with that kind of for us, that was a new thing back then in high school to see you can't just play both ways everywhere. Yeah. Um, now, it definitely depends on where you are in Texas. There's no chance, you know, unless you're one of the small schools playing against other small schools. But places like up here in the northwest, you know, Montana, Washington, Idaho, Oregon, those places, there's it's a little easier to get done. Um, yeah. But you still got to be careful, especially if you're at some of those bigger schools, because there's just, you know, your opponents are going to have so many options to put in the game. And for me, I was I was the kid who was on everything but, you know, the field goal team and kick return because they wouldn't let me return kicks. I tried to convince them that they wouldn't <laughs> let me. Um, and so I was playing a lot of games. But fortunately, we were good enough to where we were usually winning and I got a break at the end of the game, you know, the fourth quarter and stuff like that. So but I definitely think it's more difficult for high school kids to play both ways. I think, you know, some athletes are just those type of athletes that you got to find a way to get them in. Um, yeah. But I think, I honestly, I think back to even a couple of years after I left high school, Buda Baker, who's obviously playing and doing really well in the NFL, he didn't even really play both ways for Bellevue. You know, so I think he, I mean, he did, but he wasn't a starter on both sides. He was started at safety and then he'd play some offense when they needed him. And so I think that kind of changed the way we did things at Bellevue kind of after that, Katie, that 2009 season where we were playing some of these teams who they didn't need to play both ways. And so we kind of our coaches kind of looked into finding better ways to utilize the people we had on our team and use them when necessary, but not overdo it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. You know, like you said, 60 people on, on your team and then 100 on 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 the Texas team. And 
you would go to Montana and, and, you know, your smaller schools, you're lucky to have, you know, a team, right. to, you know, 30 to 40. And then you got your, you know, double A schools that are, are, are pretty big, but right. it's just crazy how many, the, the difference in, in teams and sizes. So no doubt, no doubt. The six man and eight man football teams in Montana, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Different world. Yes, it is. So you played at Hawaii for, I believe your uh, freshman and redshirt freshman year. How was mm-hmm. that to play on on an, on the island? It was a blast. You know, I, I I chose Hawaii because it was truly somewhere where the the coaching staff, the people, the whole vibe of of the island and the area and the school was awesome. Um, it was it was fun playing there. It's it's different, definitely, when you're coming from a place like Seattle and then you're going to a place like Hawaii. The environment, the the weather, the climate, all that stuff is different. But I mean, football is football anywhere you go. And so that part of it was easy. Football was football. I was playing it with, you know, people who loved it just as much as I did. And so that was that was really the easy part. You know, the adjustment with school and and the culture around the island was a little different, but it was still it was nothing negative. You know, I, I had a great time when I was in Hawaii. Nice. So you, you wound up um, leaving to go to Montana. Mm-hmm. Why did you leave the island? Did, was it? I think I believe your redshirt freshman year, you were playing a little bit. Um, I think I, I had found that you were playing some special teams and some safety. So at Hawaii, I actually played linebacker the whole time. Oh, okay. Um, so I never, the first time I played safety in college was the spring I got to Montana. Okay. Um, but the reason I left Hawaii had a little bit more to do with the uh, structure of the program and what was happening within it. Um, we had some issues as far as I, I honestly couldn't tell you, I didn't research it. I didn't look into it too much. I just know there were some rumors going around about potentially people, you know, gambling on games and things like that. And just issues within the athletic department that ended up getting our head coach, Greg McMacken kind of pushed out the door, you know, so he retired, he was, he was getting toward retirement anyway. Um, but kind of, I think he got kind of moved that way with whatever situation was going on. And so then they brought in a new coach, Norm Chow for my uh, red shirt freshman year. Um, okay. So my first year when I was, when I was red shirting, I was just doing scout team. You know, I was actually um, playing against Nick Rolovich's who's the new head coach at Washington state, his offense, he was the OC um, Dave Aranda, the new head coach at Baylor was my DC. And so I was learning from some really good coaches. Um, and so I had a really good time that first year and, you know, it was, it was kind of freedom because I was learning how to play linebacker and I, they were just moving me around the scout team and putting me in different positions. And I was learning a lot about playing football. Um, and so I had a really good time. And then my red shirt freshman year, I went into it with, you know, high expectations for myself. Um, I expected to either find a way to start or play a lot. And I actually did early on. My first game we played against USC uh, when they were number one team in the nation, Matt Barkley, Robert Woods, uh, Marquise Lee, all those guys, Silas Red was at running back. So they had a, they had a squad. And um, I played 40 plays that game, my first game in the Coliseum, um, and had a really good time. We got our butts kicked, but, I mean, <laughs> that's going to happen sometimes when you're playing teams like that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was it was a blast, and we kind of went through the season. I had some some back issues. I had gotten the slip discs kind of somewhere throughout the uh, lifting in the off season last season, and it started to bother me, and I was starting to get back spasms and things like that. And so, going into I think it was like week four or five, we were playing at BYU, 
and I couldn't stand up throughout the warm up. Like I was hunched oh, over wow. the whole time. And so I go into the game and I'm just fighting through it, fighting through it. But you know, we're we're already oh one in three or one and four. We're having a hard time. Our offense is struggling. Our defense is rotating guys like it, you couldn't believe. Like nobody could get a rhythm. We couldn't get going. Nobody really knew where they stood. I played a different position each week. I played, you know, Mike, Sam, oh, wow. Will. I played a nickel. I played Justin Nickel. I played in base. I played it was it was kind of felt unorganized and it makes sense you know the coaches were kind of searching for the right formula with players and putting them in different positions and seeing what they could do but as a player especially a young one who's playing a new position for really the first time because i hadn't played linebacker in a defense besides that you know the only real uh experience i had with it was in the two fall camps i did other than that i was on the scout team and so I'm trying to learn how to play linebacker, not just the positions in the defense, but the actual position as a whole. But I keep getting moved around to different spots. You know, I'm on the edge. I'm at middle linebacker. I'm at weak side linebacker. And so, you know, I felt like I picked up the defense fine, but there was a lot of technical stuff that I didn't have a good feel for. And, you know, I actually ended up playing a ton throughout the season through six or seven games. And I started one game against New Mexico State, they ran one play. We were in man. I remember this specifically because I was so upset. Um, they run, you know, just a inside zone play. I'm scraping over the top, seeing my man's the back. So I'm, I'm, tra- I'm tracking him. He cuts back to the backside. I work back with him. He bounces it. Our end lost contain. I can't get over the top of him because he's driven back three, four yards. And the the running back took it to the house. And I was so frustrated because I was like, I don't know how I could have done that play any better. You yeah, know, I was in my position. I was in the right spot. I would have been there if our DN wasn't, you didn't cut me off. And so I was so frustrated, but they actually pulled me out of the game. On top of that, I had the flu that week. And so I was just all sorts of a mess mentally and emotionally. I was frustrated. I was, you know, angry. I wanted to play, but I didn't feel like I could play to my highest potential. And so I ended up kind of out of that game as far as defensively. Um and kind of the rest of the season stayed that way. I didn't really get another chance to jump in and, and show what I had. And, you know, it was frustrating. I was playing on, I think, two of the two or three of the four special teams. I played every game on special teams. Um, and so, you know, I I was doing everything I could to show them what I got. But, you know, kind of toward the end of the season, I realized that they had kind of, you know, moved on from giving me an opportunity. And so, you know, just looking at what they were, you know, investing into me and what they're kind of giving me the opportunity to do I realized that it might be a good idea for me to look elsewhere and in my you know season ending or um, meeting with my position coach we kind of had that conversation and he he was there with the staff when I first got there so he actually got held on through the new staff and you know he just told me to be honest he wasn't sure that I was going to get another opportunity to, you know, play. And this is my redshirt freshman year. I still got three oh, wow. years to play. Jeez. And he's and he he just said like, it's not it's not necessarily that you can't because you know you could you could be a starter somewhere. I think the issue is they're looking at things a little different. They're looking they want what they want at the position is a little different than what you bring, which is fair. You know, I was a six mm-hmm. foot two hundred and ten pound linebacker. You know, and in the rest of the room, we had dudes who were, you know, six, five, two forty six. You know, they they looked the part. I didn't look the part. You know, I I still felt like I was one of the best in the room, but I didn't look the part. And that was all right. And, you know, and so sometimes 
in this game and especially now being a coach you see certain coaches look at things certain ways and you can't always fight that and i was glad i made the decision to to transfer because honestly i think our montana team was better than the white team i was on um in a lot of ways and so you know that's kind of how it came about is just the opportunity was no longer there for me and um however it got communicated it did and i kind of saw it too and so i just made the decision that for me and with my back and the way i was feeling physically i knew that i wasn't necessarily going to get more athletic than i already was and so i didn't want to prolong it by you know going somewhere and sitting out another year or trying to you know fight through this kind of death sentence as far as the program i was at and so yeah i just i just decided i wanted to go somewhere finish out my college career where i could play for three years and not have to, you know, sit out and watch for a year and then only get to play two years. I just wanted to go somewhere and play football. That was what was important to me. I wasn't thinking about going pro at that point. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. Excuse me. I was just thinking about playing ball because I knew I loved to play it and I wanted to find somewhere where I could do that and enjoy it without feeling like I was, you know, in a bad situation. So how did you get from the island to the University of Montana? Basically, what happened is my linebacker coach at Hawaii had a good, um, you know, relationship with a couple other coaches around the country, and he he knew Langi Suyanoa, who okay. is actually here at Oregon State with me. He's our D line coach here, um, but he was the D line coach at Montana, and so he got me connected with them. Um, I went on a couple of visits. I went on a visit to Sacramento State, to Eastern Washington, and to Montana. I thought about doing some of the Pac-12s or other Mountain West schools and walking on there and trying to earn a scholarship. But again, I didn't want to have to sit out a year. And so um, it kind of came down to the big sky for me because I wanted to stay on the West Coast, you know, stay stay close to family and stay kind of around where I'm from. And so I went on those visits and it just kind of came clear to me that, you know, honestly, it was, it was kind of funny because Montana was the last visit I went on, but Sac State I went to and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can go here. <laughs> and then I go to Eastern and I was like, I, I can't live in Chino for, for three years or whatever it is. And so it was kind of by default. I, I kind of came into Montana being like, you know, I have the, out of the three coaches who were kind of recruiting me to transfer there, I liked Coach Lange the best. And I was kind of going in there with the idea that this is going to be it. You know, I'm going to go here. Um, on top of that, I had a couple high school teammates who were playing for the Grizz and Cam Warren and um, and Peter Wynn and John Conangata. And so I was like, I know people here. I'm comfortable here. You know, I knew Ellis because Ellis had actually come to Hawaii. Ellis Henderson had come yeah. to Hawaii for a semester. So I knew Ellis. Um, I had friends from high school who were just at school in Missoula. And so there was just so much more connection for me going to Missoula than there was any of the other options I had. Um and the the relationship with with Coach Lange and Coach Delaney that I talked to a little bit was was better, and I just I just saw it as being a good fit for me and somewhere I could have fun and enjoy it. So that's, that's awesome. how I made it to Montana. That's awesome. Was it hard to adjust coming from Hawaii uh, to Montana? Um, no. Uh, it's it's funny because people always ask that, like, why would you do that? You're going from paradise <laughs> to this. I'm like, because it's not about you know the the climate. That's not yeah. what I was thinking about. I was thinking about football. I was thinking about you know, my personal happiness and enjoyment of of my college career and college academic career and all that stuff. And so it really wasn't a hard adjustment. I grew up in Seattle, so I grew up in, you know, kind of fall weather year round type of situation. And so I had my summer in Hawaii and I was going to my winter in Montana. It was all good. Um, I did come in the middle of winter, though. Like I left Hawaii <laughs> and it was 80 and got to Montana and it was like 10. 
and snowing, oh. and I was like, "Whoo!" Um, <laughs> but I have grandparents who live in Idaho and in, in the Haley, Idaho, Sun Valley area, and so I, I'm pretty used to the snow. I've I've been around it my whole life, and so that wasn't a problem. I just, I didn't, I didn't have much of an issue transitioning, um, because I just, you know, I've I've lived in the climate, I've lived in, I've been in that situation, you know, with the snow and all that stuff throughout my whole life. So it wasn't, it wasn't a tough transition as far as physically, mentally and emotionally, it was a little harder. Um, just because anytime you transfer, anytime you leave something that you thought was a really good path for you is hard. Um, yeah. for me, it was a transition in my mindset. As far as football goes, I went from like, how am I going to get to the league to, I just want to enjoy this. Now I want to find a way to play. I'm pissed off that that didn't work out. I'm like, I'm angry. I'm young. I'm emotional. I just want to play and prove everybody who, you know, told me that that was, that I wasn't going to get another chance that they were dead wrong. Um, so I had a little bit of a transition through that winter conditioning period, kind of leading up into spring ball where I probably had some coaches scratching their heads. Like, why did we go get this guy? <laughs> He's a little bit out of shape. He's what is he wants to play safety. Why would he play safety? He's a linebacker, all these things. And I was just, I had fully resorted or reverted back into, you know, I'm a safety. I played it in high school. That's what I was comfortable doing. And, you know, I asked them to let me try at least for the spring to play safety. And they did, which was awesome. And, you know, I, I thought I did a, a good job there. They felt that, I was better fit for the team at linebacker. And so that's what I moved back to. But, you know, it was it was an interesting transition and it wasn't fully smooth, but I think it it worked out. And, you know, I kind of pulled myself together in those after those first couple months to kind of make the best of it. Did you know much about University of Montana before uh, coming? Not a thing. Not a thing. I knew nothing about it. The only thing I had... Um, known about it was that jp and cam and peter were here were there okay that was it i think i tried to watch one of their games once when kind of when i thought it would knew i was transferring and um just because i knew kind of toward that end of the season and so the playoff games were on which i don't even think they were in the playoffs that year but i think i like went back and tried to watch one of their one or two of their games but yeah i knew absolutely nothing about the university of montana the first time i ever was in montana was on my visit okay so <clears throat> i know you said that um having some people around you at university of montana kind of uh not not had a big part of it but it was a, a big part why you came here are there any other reasons why you chose university of montana A little bit about their history. I mean, again, I didn't know a ton about it. I knew they were a good FCS program. Um, I didn't know to the extent how good they were, even though it would have been pretty easy to find out. I just didn't look <laughs> into it that much. Um, but I knew they were successful, and I knew that it was a place with a winning mentality. And, you know, I think being in Hawaii kind of taught me that not everybody has that, and you can't force it on people. Um, I've always been a part of winning programs as far as football goes. And at least winning mentalities as far as football programs go, you know, like in Little League, we weren't always the best team. But just the mentality kind of growing up for me was winning is not the most important thing, but it is very important. And it's something that you should be striving for in everything you're doing. Um, when I was at Hawaii, I kind of found that was lost a little bit. It became less about winning and more about personal um, achievements and stuff. And so we weren't a great 
unit in Hawaii. We were a good team. We had good friendships, things like that. But as far as like winning, it wasn't our coaches and players and all that stuff didn't seem like they were on the same page. Like it didn't seem a universal desire to win wasn't there. And so I was looking for something with that. And it just seemed like, you know, having teammates, old teammates there and and seeing the success that the program had, it seemed like that was, I was taking a, a gamble that that's what the mindset was there. So did you have it? Do you have a favorite moment or story from your career at the university of Montana? Oh man. Um, I, I, I had so many good times there. I had so many fun games, fun, you know, practices, situations, things like that. I, I wouldn't say there's one that stands out as more fun than the other. Um, I think, you know, I think about the North Dakota state game, my senior year. Um, I think about, you know, that interception I had against Sac state, my junior year, that was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I just think about games like that playing Eastern my senior year, um, you know, Appalachian State my sophomore year, that first game I was there for. And just just all those games were so much fun to play in. Um, the Montana State games were awesome. That was a blast. <laughs> Loved doing that. Um, but there, there's just so many fun times we had and so many fun things we did. You know, we floated the river as a team a couple times. I just I, – I can't pick one moment that I thought was better, but I – I honestly can say I enjoyed almost every moment of my career at Montana. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have a favorite like tradition that you guys had? Ooh. I think I, I would say the black flag games. Um, okay. Probably my favorite tradition. We would coach Ty would always, you know, anytime we had an opponent that was like a must win game or big time game, you know, the Eastern Washington's, the Montana States, North Dakota States, we'd pull out the black flag and that just, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't change much, but it, it just let you knew that, or let you know that this, this game was, was big. This game was important that every ounce of intensity that you could possibly bring had to be brought. There was no way you could take a second or, or a breath. You just had to go, go, go. And, um, if you stopped, it would it would risk the team winning. And so everybody kind of found a way to fight through little injuries, fight through little, you know, un- unsureness and things like that. They would just go all the way through. And it, it just made those games so much more fun and exciting. And we didn't always win them, but it made us feel like, you know, the desire to win was always there. And so I think that black flag was was pretty good. The other one was just being in the tunnel with the guys, you know, the the chance we we did i don't i'm trying to remember make sure there's not no cuss words in them um, <laughs> but the, we did the the who said the who said you know all that stuff i loved running out of the tunnel um i always came out uh, toward the back i just i've always felt like my my form of leadership wasn't necessarily rah rah be the dude in the front it was you know i got your back kind of stuff where and so for me, it was kind of symbolic of, of who I was as a football player and a leader is I'm not I don't need to be the guy in front of the camera. I'm I'm going to be the guy in the back holding you guys forward. And if somebody falls off, I'll pick you up and carry you the rest of the way type of thing. Um, and so me and me and Maya were always kind of the last two out of the tunnel. Jeremiah Kosei. And it was just, you know, it was something special. Herb kind of went back and forth, front and back, depending. He, he carried the flag a lot more times than I did. And so sometimes <laughs> he was out in front, but Herb would come back with us and it was just they kind of we kind of felt like we were the anchor of of that defense and and that team somewhat. So the three of us would kind of hold it down from the back. Nice, nice. So you had I believe two coaches while you were there, um, mm-hmm. Coach Delaney and Coach Stitt. How were uh, what was it like to have 
both of those coaches? It was different for sure. Um, I actually had four head coaches through college. So that was, I was used to changing, <laughs> used yeah, to changing yeah. head coaches and different mindsets and different attitudes. Um, coach Delaney was a, was a lot more of a player's coach in the sense that he had his coordinators to coordinate, you know, and mm -hmm. every coach is different. They do it different ways. Coach Delaney wanted to make sure the program and the people within the program were doing things the right way. We're making the right decisions. We're set up for success the best. And we're always, you know, doing it the Grizz way while, you know, Coach Ty and Coach Fence were you know, running, they were running the offense and the defense. And so Coach Delaney was a little bit more about making sure us as players were doing good and doing the right things. Um, coach Stitt was a little bit more of a coach's coach in the sense that, you know, he was still wanting to coach ball. He was running the offense. He was doing that kind of stuff. He was a little bit less concerned. Not, I wouldn't say less concerned. He was a little bit more concerned with ball versus people in that aspect. Um, that doesn't mean he didn't care about us. He obviously did. If, if you're coaching ball, you should care about your players. It was just, he was a little bit more focused on the football side of it and a little bit more less of the organizational leadership side of it when it came to the players. Um, and so I actually, I interacted a lot more with coach Delaney, um, got to know him and he got to know me a lot better. And I think a lot of the players, especially defensively kind of felt that way when, when Stitt came in, he was, you know, a little bit more football focused. And so he wasn't, we weren't meeting with him a lot. I didn't talk to him a ton. Um, it almost kind of felt like, he was the head coach of the offense and coach Ty was our head coach on defense. That's kind of how the team felt at that point, just because, you know, especially with those two being the last two finalists for the job or whatever it was, it almost, yeah. it kind of created a, a little bit of an awkward environment because as players, you know, who were there, who were with coach Ty, especially defensively, we kind of were like surprised he didn't get the job. You know, he'd been there at that point, I think 11 years or something. And, you know, he'd been doing it the Grizz way, all that stuff. And so for us, it was like we've always rode with Ty. He was, you know, he was our DC. He was the one who got us going, all that stuff. And so we just kept doing it that way. And the difference between Coach Delaney and Coach Did is Coach D was, you know, around a lot more with the defensive side. He talked to us a lot more, he engaged with us a lot more. Coach Did was, you know, kind of letting it be, letting Coach Ty do what he wanted to do with us. And so, it was, you know, it wasn't, it, it was different, definitely different. It wasn't bad in any way. Obviously we still found a way with that 2015 defense to have a good season defensively. Um, but it was just, it was, it was a different feel. And it, I would say the relationship was definitely different with the two head coaches. Okay. Do you think it was kind of, um, um, the relationship between the two coaches was kind of uh, severed with uh, them choosing one of, over the other. That had to be a hard, hard, hard thing to get over and a, a hard work environment just with two guys that were going for one position. And yeah, I can't imagine that. Right. And I, I think it happens a lot more than, you know, the general public and fans notice. Um, there's a lot more times where coaches, are either promoted to interim head coaches and then they give somebody else the job, but they still stay on type things. Um, but I think the political answer is no, but I think the, you know, the true answer is, yeah, it was a little, it was a little different. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily think there was animosity from one towards the other. 
as far as you got the job and I didn't, or I got to prove to them that I'm better than you because I got the job type of thing. I don't think there was any of that. I just think there was kind of a little bit of uncomfortableness between them on their kind of communication type situation, I guess. I think that Ty felt like he needed a little bit, you know, I I don't want to speak for Ty. I don't don't know what he's saying. I just, from a player's perspective and from seeing it, it did feel like Coach Stitt had a little bit, was trying to prove that he was the better one for the job, Um, which, I mean, good. That means we were going to hopefully get better coaching, right? And then, you know, Coach Ty, I think, was in a little bit of a situation where he was trying not to step on toes. And I think that was the big thing. I think, you know, you had Coach Stitt trying to, you know, a lot of people saying that Coach Ty should have got the job or they should have brought Coach Houck back. And so he had a chip on his shoulder trying to prove that he was the right guy for the job. And then you had Coach Ty who was like, heard the same things and was trying not to step on toes and was trying to be a professional about it. And so it was, you could tell there was a little bit of, you know, uncomfortableness, but I don't think there was a lot of, you know, anger or anything like that or jealousy or any of that stuff. It was just, it was, it was a little bit fractured. Yeah. You know, just a little bit. Yeah. So while you were playing, did you ever have a a favorite uniform combo that you guys like to have? Man, those all whites. All whites. Those all whites were something different. Yeah, we love wearing those. We had, we had a lot of good ones. I mean the um, the ones we wore against, I believe it was Cal Poly, my senior year. The the kind of gray, the dark gray and maroon okay, combo yeah. was pretty good too. But those two those two would probably be the ones I thought were the best. Nice, nice. The all whites. They have the white helmet as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I love those, man. I yeah. I throw in my my white elbow sleeve. <laughs> and you know i just ran with it I, I was all about the all whites nice nice so what was it like to play at washington grizzly stadium it was incredible i still to this point and even before that i don't know that i played in a stadium that was louder and more energetic um i think the only the only one i played in that competed with it was ndsu um, and that includes, I mean, that includes Boise State, Fresno State, USC, Colorado State, all those places. Um, I don't, I don't think anything else really compared with it, except for North Dakota State. And then, as far as what I've coached in, that might compare to it. UW's pretty intense. Um, Oregon was surprisingly quiet when we were there for the Civil War last year. Um, yeah, I've but that from a couple different players that. They, they they thought it was going to be a lot louder and it, it just didn't live up to the hype. Yeah, I think because a lot of people compared Washington Grizz to, you know, Oxen. And so yeah. for me, like going into that Civil War last year, I really was expecting that kind of feel and I just didn't get it. Now, again, I was in the booth, so it might have been way louder on the field, but <laughs> it was it was open. And so like you could hear the field and it just didn't seem that exciting. The other actually... The other place is Utah, which the only time I've been at a game in Utah was when I was in high school and they were playing BYU. So it was a rivalry game. So I would say those four stadiums are probably the loudest, most exciting environments I've been in are Utah, um, Montana, NDSU and Washington. Okay. So what was it like to play in a Grizz Cat game? It was a blast, especially when you win all of them. 
Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a ton of fun because that I mean that environment is the best of the best. You know, you got people from both sides are at the game because you're you're only a couple hours apart, um, and there's just a mutual respect within the the locker rooms, but the, the also that little bit of mutual hate. You know, yeah. Um, and so you're battling with those guys. You obviously respect them, and you know when you see them outside of the game, you're good. But when you're in between those lines, you're you're fighting and you know, you're just battling to win the game. And then the fans on top of that are just, they're, they're going crazy. You know, when we were in a, when we were at Bobcat stadium, they're talking trash from the, from the stands. When you're at Grizz stadium, you hear them talking trash to those guys from the stands. <laughs> and, you know, you're just laughing at all of it. Cause you're like, I don't know you guys. Like, who are you? <laughs> How do you, you know my name? I've never seen you in my life. What are you talking about up there? Yeah, um, but you just got to laugh and enjoy the moment. And then when you get on the field, you make a play. It just feels so much. It just feels so much more, you know, exciting and, and full of passion when you make a play in those games, because you're basically looking at the other side and being like everything you just said, you can shove it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so those those games were so much fun. You know, I, I don't think there's not a lot of rivalry games that can that can stand up to that just because of the stadiums and how close you are to the fans and how much, you know, it's not like the bands right behind you or, you know, it's you got students right behind you. You got, you know, um, fans who have been going to those games for 30, 40 years who are just yeah. invested in it. And it's not like, oh, I guess that rivalry games this week, let's, you know, leave our nine to five to do it. There's people who, you know, will go all week. They'll leave Bozeman and come to Missoula all week. They'll, they'll leave Missoula and go to Bozeman all week. They're coming from all corners of the state. Um, just to watch that game so you know it's it's just a it's a different feel than pretty much any game I've ever been a part of before coming to University of Montana did you hear about the rivalry or did, were you prepped you know hey you know you're now a Grizz did they prep you prep you for that rivalry not before I got there I was prepped okay. when I was there but again before I got to Montana I had no idea about Montana I knew nothing so once I got there, they prepped me up pretty good, you know, and leading up to the game, kind of the whole season. I remember we had uh, spaghetti Thursdays with the D-line linebackers and D-line did it. Um, and I remember the first week every year we'd watch whoever the Bobcats were playing. And it was just you could you could tell it was different. Like it wasn't about we weren't watching them to watch ball. We were watching them to figure out how good they were and what we need to do to beat them. So. Awesome. Well, and, and you did a really good job of that, you know, your three and L record versus them. So how does that, you know, that has to feel good having that record of, of not losing to them um, and having that against, you know, <laughs> your rival. How does oh, that God. feel? Oh, I tell everybody I'm undefeated in the brawl. Of wild. <laughs> if you want to win, you just got to get me on your side. Apparently. <laughs> there you go. There you no, go. It's an amazing feeling, you know. It's it's one of those things where you know you could talk about all the different rivalry games we had, the Easterns, you know, even the North Dakota State during the time I was there. Um, but obviously, nothing compares to the Montana State Montana rivalry in that state or at that program. And so, being able to win all those games, and they were all good games for us. You know, they weren't all good games for them. That, but you know, 2013 was a good game. Um, it didn't come down to the wire, but it it was a four quarter game. 2015 was a, you know, mostly four quarter game, a high scoring one. But it was just those games were so much fun because the intensity we brought and the focus we brought 
and the fact that, you know, we didn't need a complicated defense against them because the passion came out and took over. You know, we didn't need to run all the plays we were trying to, you know, add in throughout the season and change up throughout the season because we knew that our passion was going to take care of that. And so it was it was just another level of fun and excitement and enjoyment. And to win all of them, you know, makes it that much better. So I want to get your perspective on this. Like, I know, I know, you know, the rivalries go back and forth and I know the Grizz haven't won and it seems like forever, but it's been four seasons. Um, <laughs> do you feel as like a player and now as a coach, do you feel like those rivalry games, they need to be emphasized and you need to have a clock and, or, or do you feel like they should, they should be emphasized, but um, it should be kind of following like what you normally do uh, having a same kind of structure and, or should it be different? I think the, the, the preparation physically shouldn't change. Um, I think as soon as you start changing those things up, you get into a situation where players start to get lackadaisical in their preparation for other opponents. Um, especially as it gets built into the program that that's the way it's done. I think mentally and emotionally what you're saying and, and the leadership you're giving to the players throughout that week should change because I think they need to understand the intensity of the matchup. You know, if all mm-hmm. else is, is lost, if both teams are, you know, Owen 10 going into that game, it needs to be just as important if, as if both teams were 10 and 0. And it should be one of those things where it's like, you're fighting for your state. Right. This is yeah. this is bigger than, you know, fighting for a conference win or whatever, or an out of conference win. You're now fighting to be the top dog of Montana, to represent Montana. You're not fighting to represent, you know, one of the teams in the big sky. Because if you look at it as just the other games, you know, there's six or whatever, five other teams that are going to win that week. You're not, you know, you're not the best of the big sky just because you won one week. But if you win this game, you're the best of Montana. So I think mentally, especially it being the last game and being that last hurrah before the playoffs start, yeah, you need to mentally and emotionally, you need to prepare them in a different way. Physically, you can't change stuff because they need to go into each game with the same physical preparation um, to win the game. And so I would say, yeah, there, there's a little bit of a different approach to it, but it's it's not in what you do. It's just in how you approach what you do, I guess. Okay. During your playing uh, career, is there anyone that kind of sticks out that either you played with or played against that was like just an amazing, like just like freak athlete? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's plenty of dudes. I mean, I think about as far as people I played against, Marquise Lee was out of this world as far as athleticism at USC. Um there was a couple kids at BYU. I don't remember their name, but they were just, I mean, I'm not sure they might've been 30 years old, but they were, they were man children in that True. game. Right. Um, we played against Derek Carr and Devonte Adams when I was at Hawaii at Fresno okay. state. Um, yeah. Vernon Adams was incredible. You know, Cooper yeah. cup was a sneaky, great athlete. You know, he was a lot more technical. And so his, his, his technical abilities were unreal, but he was a really good athlete on top of that. And that's what I think a lot of people missed out because he didn't run a four, two, but he ran a four, four or something like that. So um, Vernon was out of this world. Kendrick Bourne, um, he was young, but he, he had a lot of, a lot of upside on him. Um, I'm trying to think there is a couple other dudes. There's 
a receiver at Northern Arizona who was just, you know, six five and didn't drop the ball. Um, so yeah, there there was a lot of people I played against that just had different a different level of athleticism that you could tell that that was one of the things that was going to help them be special. Um, as far as on my team that I played with, um, I think Tyrone Holmes was an incredible athlete. Zach Wagaman was, you know, those those two were dudes who looked a certain way, yeah. but the way they looked didn't match how they moved. They were flexible. They were quick. They were fast. They were strong. Um, Ellis and Jamal at receiver were, you know, that was a combo to be to be challenged and you'd lose most of the time. They were incredible at receiver. JJ was a hell of a quarterback um, and a great athlete at that. And, you know, the, the sneakiest, uh, Tra- Travon Van, he was a hell of a, hell of a running back. And then, um, Jordan Canada, he was probably the sneakiest of them all. Cause he was strong as all get out. He was a really strong kid, but he was also a really good athlete and really very efficient in his movement. And that was one of the things a lot of people didn't look at. He wasn't jumping side to side, shaking a bunch of people, but he was so efficient when he cut, when he put his foot in the ground and, and got vertical, it was, it was out of this world. Um, and then probably the probably the best athlete I played with was Herbert Gamboa. Dude okay. was insane. He was the right. fastest. He was yeah. He was he was insane as far as athleticism. So, your first year at University of Montana, you mostly played special teams. What were your your expectations coming into that year? Um, they were they were. I would say I, I was expected to play more. Okay. Um, I think my, again, like I said before, my mentality coming into Montana was a little fractured. I was a little bit lost as far as my, you know, desires and where I was as far as what I wanted to do there. Um, I cleaned it up in the spring. Um, I I personally, and, you know, you can ask Coach Cookus, you can ask Coach Ty about this, but I personally felt that I was the best safety we had in the spring. I wasn't the fastest, and that was kind of my downfall at safety is I just, and that I, I was somebody who could start on that defense and contribute to it. But yeah, so I, I expected to play. I went into that season thinking that, you know, I was deserving as far as my ability to play. Um, unfortunately, for me, but fortunately for us, we had a really good group of linebackers. Um, Jordan Tripp and Brock Coyle, JP Conangata, those were the starters. You know, they'd been there, they'd worked, they'd earned their spots, their starting spots. Um, and then our backups, we had, a, we had a solid group of backups too. And so kind of going into it, um, Coach Ty told me I was kind of sitting at that fourth linebacker spot. And that I'd play a lot, but I probably wasn't going to start a bunch. You know, you got three seniors out there. And so um, I I expected to play. And when I went in there, I did what I could. Um, so I was I would say I was a little disappointed that year because I really did believe that I was good enough to, to start. And I didn't. Um, but I didn't let that change the way I approached the game or change the way I played. I went out on special teams and just tried to wreck, wreak havoc and and tear it up and do the best I could. And, you know, ended up with 30 tackles or 29 tackles or something, mostly playing yeah. special teams, which, you know, just kind of, kind of shows that I was, I was out there trying to prove something um, the best way I could. And I, I just was having fun with it. I kind of got in, once we got into the season, I kind of got back in that mentality of I I'm here to have fun. I'm not here 
trying to prove anything to anybody anymore. Like I, I know what I am as a player. I know what I can do. I just need to go have fun and enjoy it. And, and we did, man, we had a blast that year on special teams, especially, you know, Joey counts, Addison, um, Owen, you know, me, Herbert, we were just running down, Justin witted. We were, we were having a great time on special teams. And as much as I would love to have played more defense that year and thought I could have helped in a lot of situations, um, you know, it didn't work out that way. And we still had a great season. I mean, 10 and 10 and one, or 10 and two, whatever it was, was pretty good. So when you had a good first year, you you were named, you know, special teams player of the year. So Mm -hmm. did you, did you think you, you needed to uh, answer Hawaii um, and, and kind of say, Hey, you guys missed out on me. I I can be a player and kind of like just fulfill that chip on your shoulder or, or was that not the case? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think anytime, especially as a young, you know, semi-arrogant kid, you you always have that mentality of if somebody tells you you're not good enough, or somebody tells you you're not going to get an opportunity, or that they're they're trying, they think there's somebody else who's better. You always have that chip on your shoulder to prove them wrong. Um, I think personally, I always had the mentality that they were wrong, and I wasn't needing to prove it. I was just gonna show them. Like I don't think I was trying harder to prove it. I think I was just still doing what I you know, normally would have done. But I think through that, I think there was a little bit of underlying, I'm going to prove you wrong in it. Um, and I I feel like I had a great career and I, you know, did what I could to do that. You know, at the end of the day, it's not up to me to decide whether they're wrong or right. That's that's their their decision they made and, and you know, their, their path that they got to figure out. And obviously they they struggled there a little bit and, you know, I'm I'm not saying I was sad about that. It sucked to see some of my old teammates not doing great as far as winning games and stuff. But I was also, you know, kind of it kind of helped me a little bit look at it and say, hey, you know, you guys had a lot of good players. And it wasn't just me at Hawaii. There was, you know, seven, eight other guys who transferred with me that I thought and we thought that we could have had that program doing really well. And, you know, there was we all left and they struggled for a little bit because you lose, you know, most of a class, most of your best players out of a class, you're going to have a, a tough couple of years. And so I would say there was a little bit of chip on my shoulder, but I, I honestly forgot about it for a while when I was at Montana, just because I was having fun playing for the Grizz and, you know, being part of a program that was so focused on winning and doing things the right way and, and, you know, having fun. So. So that, that off season, what were your, your goals? I know probably starting, um since those seniors left what were your other expectations or goals coming into that next season win Win. (laughs) yeah i mean my my football goals when i was a player were always simple it was get better be the best at what you do and win games you know i didn't change those year in and year out they were always the same i didn't look at the people around me and say okay i gotta beat this person or i gotta do this better to get in front of this person it was never about that it was I am who I am as a football player and I knew what I was good at. And I knew that, you know, my brain was my best tool on the field. Um, And so I was going to play my game and and do it the way I understood how to do it and get better at what I do and go try and win games. And whether that meant I had to be, you know, like 2013, be a special teams guy who plugged in on defense when needed, or if that meant I was going to be a starter or whatever it was, I was ready to do it, and as long as you know it got us closer to winning games, I was going to roll with it. So that that 2014 year, 
Um, I believe you guys played Coastal Carolina in the playoffs um, and, and fell short by a touchdown. Well, that was that was such a crazy game. I, I felt going into that game, all these guys are not going to be able to uh, stand stand with the Grizz just because of the cold and, and the environment. And right from the start, it was like, okay, these guys, they're not really affected by the cold. And even though there was, you know, half the people in the stands, probably because it was like negative something. Um, what was that game like? And, and what do you think went wrong? Yeah, that was that was that 2013 year. Yeah, 2013. Um, yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting game for me. I don't remember all of it. I got a concussion in the second quarter. Oh um, wow! <laughs> but I'm I remember most of it, and I I remember kind of what went wrong. And I think more so than anything, it was less about us and what we did wrong, and more about you know, Coastal Carolina doing a really good job prepping, and their coaches doing a really good job about you know just putting together the right game plan for us. I think we had we had some issues with responsibilities as far as defensively because it was a high-scoring game, if I remember. It was like 42 to 35 or something like that. Um, and I think defensively, we just we had some, some people who, I don't know if they were distracted or what. Again, I don't really remember how it went down. I just remember yeah. that there were some defensive responsibility issues and, and certain people weren't doing great job great job getting their specific jobs done and coastal carolina did a really got good job taking advantage of that they um they game planned us up to take advantage of some of our players you know um weaknesses and it's just they got the best of us on that day which you know was unfortunate but you know that's that's kudos to them my hats off to them they did a hell of a job and it's it's hard to in those kind of games to you know look at it and say there's there's really two ways it goes down either you beat yourself or you get beat Mm-hmm. and I think they just came in and beat us. They had a, the right mentality coming in and the right game plan, and we didn't, and so they got it, they got it done. So I, I've, I've talked to Ellis, and it's kind of ironic because he got a concussion in that game too. Do you think that uh, playing in in a pretty cold environment, do you think that kind of plays – plays into um, more concussions just because the ground is pretty much frozen and without that give? I think, yeah, I think there's there's a couple different ways it affects the physical aspect of the game. I think my concussion had less to do with the ground because I actually got it while hitting somebody. Um, I think it had more to do with just my helmet, and it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't the helmet's fault. It wasn't you know the equipment people's fault. Um, but I had some issues with it going into the game as far as how tight or loose it was. Um, and it was a helmet that didn't, I had a Zenith and so it didn't take air to tighten up. It was one of those things where like you just had to tighten the chin strap and things like that. Um, and for some reason on that day, all week in practice, it was fine. But on that day, it just happened to feel a little bit looser and I didn't think anything of it just because, you know, you're going in the game, you're not really thinking about it. Um, but I remember feeling like it was a little bit looser going into that game and then, you know. Lo and behold, I get a concussion and I'm like, man, and so I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know, your skin's tightening up cause it's cold. So it's time to stay warm. So, you know, my head got smaller or if it was, you know, the materials within the helmet were kind of shrank with the, with the cold. Um, yeah. I don't know what it was for me, but I just, I just know that, you know, I sh- probably should have thought more into it before the game when I felt that it was a little bit off. Um, 
but yeah, I think the cold definitely does change things. I think, you know, the way you're moving is different. You're not able to open up, you warm up, you have to stay warm and find a way to continue to warm up throughout the game. Um, and you know, it's, it's not just concussions. There's so many other injuries that come with really cold weather, just because, you know, if you're sprinting and you're cold and you're not warmed up enough, there goes your hammy, you know, you take your wrong step and you slip, there can go a knee or an ankle. And so I think it's, it's really tough to play in those conditions. Um, is it fun? Yeah, absolutely. It's fun if you're playing. If you're not, it's horrible because you're freezing. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I just remember after I got the concussion and I was out while while I was playing, it was great. I was having a great time. But as soon as I got the concussion, I put on a jacket and stood by the heater because I was like, I might as well be in the stands right now. I'm just standing here. Um, yeah. I don't have a like I don't have pants to put on. I don't have extra socks. I don't have gloves. I just I'm standing here. Um, so yeah, I think it's it definitely has some injury impact, but it's it's not like it's uneven, you know we had just as much likelihood to get injuries as they did. And so it's just about, you know, finding a way to stay warm and make sure that, you know, everything's in order going into the game, which for me, I should have been a little bit more um, focused on that kind of thing. And, you know, I think I would have been all right, but you know, most, most of our team, I think came out, came out of the game pretty unscathed. So we as a group and our trainers and our equipment staff did a really good job. So that next year coming into the 2014, you guys played an FBS school from the Mountain West in Wyoming, uh, kind of a border state, So and fell short 17 to 12. How was that to go play um, an FBS school and pretty much be in that game, pretty much the whole game, and, and just come up short? I loved it. I think that was the one time, the one game I played in that I kind of felt that Hawaii chip on my shoulder because we were playing a you know Mountain West opponent. Um, they had just gotten the NDSU coach who had won a bunch of games. Yeah, yeah, and so you know for us, it was it was that chip on our shoulder that we were trying to prove that we were good enough. You know, Uh, for me, it was that individual chip of playing a Mountain West opponent, and it was a fun game. And we we played really well defensively. Um, we struggled a little bit up front offensively with with blocking them, but you know we we stayed in the game. We gave ourselves a chance, and you know I I thought we proved a lot as far as our defense that game. I th- I thought we proved that we were one of the best, if not the best, defenses in the country that year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So how was playing? I, I know the War Memorial Stadium. How did that compare to Washington Grizzly? It it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah, that's. It didn't. I, I mean, I try to tell people that from Wyoming all the time. Like, they just don't understand. Like, oh, we we fit more people in, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. but it's not the same. <laughs> right. It was. I mean, it was a bigger stadium. That's about it. You know, it wasn't full. It wasn't loud. It wasn't. You know, it was just. It was like any other game we played, um, just in a bigger stadium. And for me, coming from a FBS program, it was no different than those games. And so, I didn't. I didn't think of it as anything special i didn't think of you know the only difference was they were fbs and we were fcs it it didn't mean anything to us or our team as as far as them being better or worse or them having nicer or worse stuff than us it just meant that you know they had a different classification for their program um and whether we won or lost it wasn't about what where they were at it was about you know who was the better team that day so yeah yeah, their, their stadium wasn't wasn't anything special in comparison to any of the other ones I played in, you know, and it definitely didn't compare to to Washington Grizzly. So you, that year you had a, a pretty amazing year, 122 tackles, one sack, one interception, three fumbles, 
and you were named the second team all defense conference team coming uh from the following year did that feel how did that feel because it must have felt really really good because you were playing special teams and then starting um did did that kind of feel like you kind of satisfied that chip and and you were kind of getting into a groove of how you wanted to be in linebacker yeah yeah i mean it, it felt good because i knew that i could I was truly in the position now and I understood it. And that was the big issue for me of why is I was playing a position I didn't know. Um, and so for me, I finally got comfortable playing that position. Um, a lot of people I think who know me know how confident I am as far as my abilities when it comes to athletics. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily, it was, it was nice, but to me it wasn't good enough, I guess. Um, I always, I mean, I, I love, getting appreciated as far as your your talents and things like that but for me it was it was always about first team or, or bust type of thing you know and so it was it was nice to be named second team it was awesome i thought you know i there were definitely people who deserve first team more than me and that was really what i was thinking about i wasn't thinking about oh great i'm second team i was thinking about how do i how do i get first team how do i do better how do i get better for you know my teammates and myself to the point where you know those games we lost i can do better in um and so, yes, it, it was definitely satisfying to, you know, see my hard work and, and my, you know, adjustment period and all that stuff pay off and kind of get myself back on track. But at the same time, I'm always trying to be the best at what I'm doing. And and as much as, you know, it was great to be named on a team, I wanted to be on that first team for sure. Okay. Your senior year, you had a, another great year, 130 tackles. And what was really interesting with that is you only played i believe like like nine or ten games yeah i think i i think it was 10 10 or 11 yeah i, think. I missed two i know that i missed two yeah, games i think one was a was an injury but how did that how, how, how did how did you do that and how was it hard on your body just to that many tackles i, I believe one uh game you had like 20 some tackles yeah cal poly yeah um no it wasn't hard on my body i think I mean, my body, I, they used to call me old man because I was, my body, my body was my body. It was, you know, I wasn't going to make it 15 years in the league, let alone five or six, you know, my body was, had taken its toll. It was, it was telling me it was ready to be done, you know, a couple years before that. But for me, it was, it didn't necessarily hurt me more. Um, I think like I, like I said earlier, my best tool in football was my brain. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm coaching is because I, I truly feel like I have a really good understanding of this game and, and the, the the concept side of it. And so for, for that season, I think we not only had a really good group of, on defense as far as linebacker, um, I think our defense wasn't as talented as it was the year before. And so some of our some of us had to do a little bit more. Um, but I, I really focused on putting myself in the position and understanding, you know, the other teams we were playing and understanding where the ball was going to be. Um, whether it's run at me or run away from me or thrown to my side or the other side, what route concepts they're running. I, I wanted to understand it to the point where on each given play and each given defensive call, I could see their formation, see their setup, know what play, what three or four plays they had the potential of running. And if I got this look from the offense alignment, I knew exactly where I needed to go to be where the play was needed to be made. Um, that mixed in with, with, um, me and Maya kind of being those two inside linebackers, we kind of had our roles within our defense. 
he was kind of the big hitter and I was, you know, the, the fill and fold to find the air and, and no, but me and Maya worked really get well together. We played North Dakota um, and they ran their 21 sets with their fullback. And I remember they would just run ISO and lead at us and whoever they ran it at just went in and took the fullback. And, you know, we took them on two different ways. I remember thinking about it when we were watching the film. I would go up and hit him as hard as he could, and I would fold over and make the play. If they ran at me, I'd run at him and step to the side and not make him miss, but kind of make him get out of position and force the ball back to Maya. And so we we both had our ways of doing things, but we worked really well together on the inside to make sure that those plays weren't getting by us. You know, so our safeties didn't have to make those one-on-one tackles in open space. It was all about making sure we kept we we felt we were the last line of the defense. You know, and that mentality allowed us to keep people in front of us to make those hard plays inside the box. Um, And so, yeah, it was it was it was a fun season. I think the big thing for me that went into it to to get in all those tackles was just play as smart as you can and and understand what's going on around you, because you're not the most athletic. You're not the fastest. You're not the strongest. But if you know where to be and you can anticipate where the offense is going, you will always be there and you have a chance to make the play. And then you just got to do it. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. You know, the, the it's not always the quickest and and gifted athletes. You know, if you have, if you have a smart player, you know that that's more critical, I think, than having a quick athlete. Yeah, definitely nice to have both, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> nice to have. You know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, in the playoffs, I believe you guys beat San Diego and then wound up having it having to play a team that you had already lost to in that year i believe it was eastern washington that you guys faced how how different was that playing a team that you've already played but also a team that's in your conference a rival a rival i would say in the conference was it kind of hard to kind of plan for because you're not gonna you're not gonna fake anything you're not they know what you're gonna do you know what they're gonna do um how hard was it to kind of prep for that game? Um, I don't think it was necessarily hard. Uh, it was a really fun game both times we played them. Um, I just – I think back on it and I think about how <laughs> prepared we were defensively. Um, offensively, I know we had we had a good games. We had tough games. Um, they were tough fought games, and Eastern actually did a really good job defensively, which for them was new because they were such an offensive team those those uh, two or three years I was there. Yeah. But I just I remember defensively going into it with the mentality that black flag, that black flag mindset of how important it was. And we played really well from my, you know, from what I remember. I they were averaging close to 50 something points a game. And I remember one game we held them to I think it was 22 on offense or something like mm-hmm. that. And they had a yeah. the had a kick return for a touchdown or punt return for a touchdown. And then the other game, we like, I don't think they scored more than 25 points against us. So we held them to half of their season average, you know, and that's not even their high. That's their season average was over 50 points a game. And so defensively, I remember going into that game with the same mindset we did the first time we played them. And it was, Hey, they're really good. They're really good on offense. They have Cooper cup. They have Vernon Adams. You know, they have the running backs. They have the tight ends. They have four receivers who are probably good and could play and start anywhere in the conference. Um, And so it was all about understanding that, Hey, they're going to make their plays, but keep them in front of you. Don't allow them to have any big plays, you know, and just when you have a chance to make the play, you got to make it. And I I thought we did a really good job of that. Unfortunately, um, they're, 
their defense just happened to have their best games of the season against us, and so our offense couldn't quite get going against them. Um, but, you know, both those games, we were there at the end of the game, and it was four-quarter games, and, you know, we pushed for it, but they came out on top, and that was that was tough for us. But at the end of the day, man, it was they were fun and great games to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, it was – of those Eastern Washington games uh, during that time period, I, I just, I, I like watching it, but man, Vernon Adams just, it was so nervous watching a game with him because he was such an, an athlete, you know, he could beat you by, by his legs or his, you know, he had a, a, a tricky kind of arm where you wouldn't think like he could throw it as right. good as he did, but you'd more likely like try to like stop him running, but right. he had a great arm as well. Yeah, he, I mean, he was that combination. Him, him and Cooper were both those combinations of that player who is really smart and really understands what they're doing, but also physically is gifted to do it even when it, when it shouldn't work. And so, yeah. you know, you're fighting against that. It's it's always going to be a tough time. But I thought we did a really good job against them. And like I said, man, those games are so much fun. You hate losing. It's not fun. But to lose in that way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to lose any other way to where you're just battling and fighting and, you know, you play well, but – the other team just got the the luck of the draw. Yeah, definitely. Your senior season, you, you switched coaches as well. Um, was that that was that year? That year was an up and down year as well, just with emotions. Um, I believe you you beat NDSU. You you mm-hmm. lose at home to Weber, uh, an overtime loss, and then you have an overtime win at Idaho State which I think was that the game that you guys won because of like a blocked like yep. punt or yeah that was and, I was at home watching that game yeah and then a one point loss to Cal Poly yeah. um what how, how was that year like that, that that year was so up and down what, what was it like for you guys that year was emotionally exhausting yeah that was that was probably the year I decided I was ready to move on from playing football, um, which is unfortunate because I really did love playing. But like when I it was it was exhausting. I think you know going from NDSU, which was a hell of a game, you know, came down to the wire. Obviously, fourth and one on the one yard line to win. Um, going into that next you know Cal Poly game where they kick a fifty three yard field goal to win by one. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go to Liberty and, you know, we just absolutely did not show up for the first quarter. And then, you know, we're pushing back, we're pushing back and can't quite get back. Um, and then kind of throughout the rest of the season, there were games that we felt we should have won that we just didn't get it done, you know, for whatever reason. I think we were really we were a really young team that year in the sense that like we had, you know, our, our D line, our interior D line consisted of two of our probably four guys we rotated were not D linemen. You know, we changed our offense. Our fullback, Jamal Wilson, ended up playing D tackle, which was a shame because he was probably the best fullback in the country at that level. Um, You had uh, Mike Ralston, who was a tight end, who ended up playing offensive tackle eventually, but he was playing nose in D tackle. And, you know, Caleb Kidder was hurt a little bit, but, you know, he played for – a good amount of the season and and just you know finding new guys were plugging in ryan johnson was playing a lot for the first time up front um we had new safeties we had manu playing we had yamen eric 
Um, Jay Witted, Justin Witted was the only one who had really played before that who was back there. Um, you know, so we we were we were really young as a team and offensively, especially, you know, our offensive line was kind of plug and play type of situation. Um, our receivers, you know, were great. Our quarterback was new. Um, our running back was new. You know, John had hadn't played a ton up into that point. And so we were a really young team that year. And I think it showed a lot throughout the season, just in, you know, some of the decision-making um, from all levels, you know, new coaching staff, young team, it's, it's hard to win eight games like we did yeah. um, just because the mix between the changing of the culture that we had with coach Stitt coming in and, and changing some things. Um, and then those young guys who were trying to figure out what types of players they were and what they could do. It was, it was hard, especially for older guys. You're looking at it like, why aren't we winning? We've done this so well and we've done it so much. And looking back on it in hindsight, it makes sense. You know, we were playing teams that had a little bit more experience and, and were more consistent than us. We just, we weren't consistent enough in what we were doing. And so, you know, we had, we had those losses, those close losses, the, you know, the Weber state losses and, the Cal Poly losses and games that we should have won and shouldn't have been close. But again, the, they were a little bit more experienced than us. And, you know, they had some, some guys who were making right decisions where our guys weren't. And so yeah. it was tough. Um, you, but yeah, I was, feel, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it was definitely an up and down season and tough emotionally for sure. Do you feel like when, when um, that year, there was a, a culture change with stick coming in and, and did it affect uh, you guys absolutely absolutely i mean anytime you get kind of that regime change there's going to be some bite back there's going to be some you know frustration especially when you're dealing with 18 to 20 you know two 23 year old kids you you buy into something you know every time you become a part of a program or a new coaching staff you buy into what they're selling right and yeah. so you got a team full of kids who had bought into coach delaney who had bought into coach ty who had bought into coach fence and everything we were doing and bought into Montana and the traditional Montana way. And Coach Stitt came in and, and had a different idea and a different mindset and a different, you know, scheme. And so he he kind of came in and offensively it was noticeable. It changed, you know. We weren't that run the ball, put your hand in the ground and go, you know, hit somebody team anymore on offense. And, you know, defensively we didn't change our scheme, but his kind of way of running things affected all of us. You know, we were doing things. We were running at practice in a different way. We were conditioning for different things. Um, academics became punishable on the field, which, you know, was new. It was like, yeah, you got to take care of your academics, but why are we running for it at practice? Um, mm -hmm. And so there were, there were some things that, you know, he did that didn't click well with some of the guys. Um, which is going to happen every time you have a coaching change, it's going to happen. I mean, when we got here at Oregon state with this coaching staff, there are some guys that we didn't click with. And yeah. to be honest, I would say this is one of like the most relaxed, um, coaching staffs I've been on as far as the way we do things. Like we are very, you know, focused and we have, you know, our, our, our goals and stuff, but it's not like we came in here and, and told them that everything they ever knew was wrong type of thing. But like, Anytime you get a coaching change, there's going to be that bite back. There's going to be players who really, really, really believed in what they were doing before and have a hard time changing. And admittedly, I was one of those players. I was having a hard time adjusting to Coach Stitt's way of doing things. Um, and 
being young and emotional and in that time of my life where that's, you know, what's expected, I, I had a hard time. I just, you know, and I think there were a lot of things that were changed and, and worked on and, and played around with that, you know, whether they were going to work out for him in the future as a senior in your last year, you don't want to see that. Yeah. And it's frustrating. And so that's, so I was kind of dealing with those demons and I know there was a couple other guys who were, but we were kind of dealing with those demons throughout that year of just trying not to let our frustrations with the, where the program was now heading and adjusting to affect how we played on the field. Yeah. That, that would have been hard too. Um, Cause you know, being, you know, there for three years and, and having a coach come in that's brand new, changing things that you guys are used to. And then having a, a coach that is running, you know, the defense that you feel like is supposed that, that should have got the job. And it, that's a, that's a crazy year, man. I, I can't imagine what you guys went through. Yeah, it was, I mean, at the end of the day, ball is ball. So we played ball, but you know, there was the the behind the scenes, the day to day stuff was just it was, it was weird. It was hard yeah. to navigate. It was uncomfortable to navigate. You know, when personally, I didn't feel overly comfortable talking to Coach Did. You know, I didn't. Yeah. There's nothing against him. I don't think he's a bad person. I think he's a good person. I think you know, anytime you're dedicating your life to coaching young kids, you're a good person. And I just think it was it was hard to adjust to him for a lot of us. And, you know, it, it kind of showed throughout the season with some of those losses that people were like scratching their heads at. And, you know, again, nothing against him and his scheme. You know, obviously he did it really well at school of mines for Colorado school of mines for a long time. And, you know, he had his things that worked that he believed in. And it's just hard as a senior to buy into something new when what you were doing worked, you know? Yeah. So those young guys, I, I think they, they were fine. They had a, you know, they bought into it. They adjusted. And just like I had when Norm Chow came to Hawaii and just like I had when I got to Montana with, you know, Coach Delaney, I adjusted. But going into your last five months at a school with that now having to change everything you had, you know, gotten to. And you finally for me, it was like I was finally getting comfortable in the system. You know, that was the first De Coach Delaney was the first coach that I had for more than two for more than one year in college. So I was finally comfortable in what I was doing. And then new guy comes in and I'm like, I just wanted to finish off comfortable. <laughs> and so, you know, I go into that last season. I'm just, I'm, I'm honest. Honestly, I was probably causing more trouble than I needed to. I was probably, you know, I should probably find a way to apologize to coach Dick. Um, I was probably a thorn in his butt to be honest. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just young and emotional and wanting things to be a certain way and not getting what you want. And now you're just, you're frustrated. And so, and then plus all the other stuff that went on that year was just, it was a mess. It was a mess yeah. of a year. Yeah. So, so back to back that year, you also played, you know, there's a rematch with NDSU um, and you came up short. What was so, it was, it was a different game. It was at Fargo. Um, I think they didn't, you guys didn't have, you know, the, the, the offense, the first game I think was kind of new to them. And so I think mm -hmm. we kind of had an advantage there. Mm -hmm. um, what went wrong at Fargo? We, I don't think we were prepared for what they had evolved to. Okay. I would say our, I didn't play that game. That was the game, the game I missed because of my arm. I broke yeah, my you arm broke your arm before. in San Diego. Yeah. 
It was yeah, it was South Dakota State. Or South Dakota, yeah, South Dakota. Yeah, sorry, the, the week before. Um, but yeah, I I broke my arm, so I was there, but I wasn't playing. And I think what the big difference was was our offense hadn't changed much. Um, okay. Right, because it's a new offense, so you can't you can't put in a ton of stuff that first year because you're trying to get good at the basics. Yeah. And so throughout the year, our offense wasn't really evolving into new things yet because we were still trying to get really good at the 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 basics because it was all new for us. Um, and so I think defensively, the second time around, they were ready for it. You know, they knew what to expect. They knew what it was going to be. They knew our tendencies, and they were ready for it. And then defensively, for us, they had evolved. Um, they, you know, Carson was out. He had hurt his wrist too. Um, and so they had Easton stick in there who was a hell of a young quarterback and was just, you know, getting into his reign as their, you know, quarterback for their program. And he was a different animal. Um, Carson was a pro style quarterback as we're seeing him with the Eagles. Now he's a pro style quarterback. Easton was a college quarterback. He was running the ball a lot more. He was doing things like that where Carson could do that, but he didn't need to. Um, Easton, that was kind of his game, it seemed like. And so we weren't prepared for the things they were doing with him. Um, And I think our offense struggling hurt us defensively because in that first game, we were able to, you know, move the ball and keep our defense off the field and get some rest. That game, and we were scoring points, that game, we our defense was on the field a lot. Um, and that was kind of the story of the season is our offense was now quick, you know, it was score fast or the ball was going to be given back fast or so defense. I think we averaged of the, whatever it is, 48 minutes or what is it? 60 minutes, 60 minutes. 60 I think minutes, we were, yeah. yeah, I think we were on the field on average of 35 minutes a game. Wow. You know, which yeah, normally kills you want to defense, be, <laughs> right. You, you'd like to be either closer to 30, 30 or more offense than defense, but when yeah. your defense is on, some games, 40 minutes of the 60, you know, you're, you're having a hard time. And that was something we had to adjust to defensively, um, which we, you know, we still had a really good year defensively. But when you're on the field that much, you're going to give up more points. You're going to give up more yards because you, I mean, you can't stop them every time. Be yeah. nice, but you can't. And so that game, I think the big thing was this, you know, our, we hadn't evolved the way we needed to, to that point throughout the season. Like you would in most programs when you're, you know, have a, a system that's been in place for a while. We had a new system, so we couldn't evolve as much on offense. And then defensively, um, yeah, they just they brought some new stuff at us that we weren't necessarily overly prepared for. Um, they attacked some of our, our spots in our defense that had proven to be the the weaker spots throughout the year. Um, so they just, again, it, hats off to their coaches. And being, being in college coaching now, you see, yes, your players are the most important part, but you can set your players up for success depending on the schemes you choose and the and the plays you're calling. And so hats off to their coaches for the plays they called and their players for getting it done. Um our guys fought really hard that game. We just we just couldn't get it going. So it was tough, well, but they won. Yeah. So right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So that first time that you guys played NDSU, that was uh Going into it, it was a hyped game. It was on ESPN, but it was also, I think the game was like pretty much probably shouldn't have been played because of the fires and how, how was that game it was smoky honestly <laughs> yeah it was smoky to start but from what it was all summer and all camp it was nothing like it was, okay. it was way the air quality was way better than it was two weeks before that when we were in camp okay and so for us and for me particularly i can't speak for everybody but for me 
I didn't feel like it affected me playing that game. Um, it might have affected, you know, NDSU a little bit because they, I don't know if they had fires over in North Dakota or whatever, but for us, it, it didn't seem like it was bad enough air quality to truly affect how we were playing. I mean, the fans were all there. It was a packed stadium, so people could breathe. And yeah. So I, I don't, I don't think it was a huge deal. Um, but yeah, that summer was pretty bad with fires for That's sure. Crazy. I wanted to touch on the South Dakota game where you broke your arm, and I believe you continue with with a broken arm. I think you continued to play, didn't you? Yeah, I'm an idiot. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I could, oh I could not I move imagine. my left arm. Oh, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, this is the last time you're playing football, dude. Just play. And oh. I remember I, I, I lied to everybody about it. I told the doctor it was just a stinger, like a Charlie horse type thing. And I just oh. needed a second to recover. I threw a sleeve over it. I had an ace wrap it. I just did. I did everything I could to cover it up. And then I went out there and I could not lift it from my side. Every time I went to lift up my arm, I was like in cringing pain. I did not want to hit anybody. I remember taking on blocks. It was all with my right side. And like anytime I was on the left side and they were running at me, I was just like, please don't get to me. Please don't get to me. (laughs) Somebody make a play for me, please. Uh, I remember I I had a moment. They threw the ball. We were in coverage. It was like a third down and five or something. And they threw the ball, the ball to the guy right in front of me at like two yards past line of scrimmage. And I was like, I have to make this play or else they're going to get the first down. And I remember running up to him with full panic mode. I was just like, what am I going to do right now? Do I just roll at him? What did just throw my body and hope for the best? <laughs> and he dropped it. And I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> but, oh, my God. That was literally – I don't know what I was thinking. Because I, I don't think I did anything the rest of the game. Like, oh. that's why when people ask me, like, I, you missed two games. I'm like, I kind of missed two and a half because I spent the whole second half just kind of there. Yeah. I just I just knew where I needed to be to not get the ball thrown near me. And I remember because they had they had Dallas Goddard at tight end, and we were in man on one play, and I had to cover him. And I was like, oh, I'm screwed. Don't throw the ball. <laughs> and I just literally attached to his hip the best I could. And I was like, he's not open. He's not open. Don't throw it here. Don't throw it here. Please don't throw it here. <laughs> And it was just like things like that where I was just like I had to be extra good away from the ball. I had to be extra good in coverage to the point where they didn't even think about throwing where I was. I had to be extra good against the run to put my body to where the running back never wanted to keep coming that way and always cut back. And, yeah, it was – I remember being like so emotional because I wanted to play but also so frustrated because I was like I can't do anything. Yeah. As soon as somebody hits this arm, I might not get back up because it might hurt so bad. Oh and man! So, so how did uh, that go down? Did you go into the locker room and be like, "Yeah, guys, this is broken"? <laughs> after the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked in. I went. I when my family was there. I went up to them. I was super upset because I knew it was the last time I was playing football. And I said, "I'll see them after. I got to go to the locker room and I got to see the doctor." And my mom was like, "What's going on?" I'm like, my arm's broken. Yeah. And she was like, "What?" I'm like, "I'll see you in a little bit. My arm's freaking broken. Just come meet me by the locker room." And then I went in and, you know, I was taking off my stuff to go up to the uh, thing. And they were like, I remember my being like, Kenny, you good? I'm like, no, man, my arm's broken. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, man, I got to go up to the training room. And I just went up there and sat in there and, you know, did the x-rays and stuff. And actually it was funny because I don't know what I had done to hold my arm together. But like the doctor was kind of touching it and moving it around. And for a second, I had a glimmer of hope. Cause she was like, I don't know. It might be okay. 
And then um, our orthopedic surgeon came in and he, you know, grabbed it. Like he was oh. not gentle. He was not, he grabbed the heck out of it. And I remember just being like, no, don't do that. <laughs> mm, don't, mm. And he's like, oh, let me just test. I'm like, please stop. You are going to kill me. This yeah. is going to be it for me. Like, this is the most pain I've ever felt in my life is what you're doing right now. <laughs> and he's he's taking, I could feel it in my arm. He was taking the bone and rubbing oh, it against each gosh. other. Because it was it was fully broken, like clean. Like, it was, I don't know if it's clean, but there was, the bone was not connected. Like, you could oh. move the bone from one side to the other. And I felt it doing it. And I was like, please stop. You are, <laughs> you're going to make a grown man cry right now. Yeah. Please stop. Please stop doing that. And they took the x-rays and it was just, it was snapped. There was oh. no chance. And I was like, can you put it back together, put a cast on it, and I can play with the club? And they're like, no. Because if something, had, if we put it back together and something happens to those screws, you're going to need another surgery. I'm like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, that's fine. Do as many surgeries on my arm as you need to. But I can I, is there a way I can play? And they were like, no, you're done. And I was, it was heartbreaking. But. I yeah I I knew it was broken from the moment it happened because I remember I hit the dude's leg he cut away from me and his knee went right through my forearm, oh, uh, and I just remember sitting there like I could have got up and jumped back on the pile because it was just a pile it was at the goal line and he was just behind his old lineman and it was just a pile and I could have jumped on it but I sat there and looked at him and I said no no I, I, <laughs> I need a I need a moment like this is I need a moment right now um, yeah. And my, I remember Maya came up to me on like after the players over like, come on, man, you good? I'm like, nope, I'm staying right here. I'm not getting up. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I need a moment. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it was tough, but I mean, I, I would have given it right now. I would have done the same thing. I would have tried to play through it and just, you know, I'm just glad I didn't hurt my team doing it. Cause yeah. that's the hard part is sometimes you play through injury and you end up hurting your team more than you help them. And I was just lucky enough to where, you know, I was able to do my job without having to use my left arm. That had to be pretty, pretty hard in your last game, your senior year. How did you, did you deal with that? Okay. Or, or was it pretty rough not being able to play in the playoffs or, you know, be on the playoffs that next game? Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, when I was at the next game, Okay. I think the rest of it was tough just because, you know, mentally and emotionally, when something like that ends, for me, football has been part of my life since I was five years old. You know, I started playing tackle football when I was five. And so this was going on to whatever, this was my 17th season of playing football. And knowing it was over was tough, but I knew it was coming to an end anyway. And so it was, it was one of those things, like I think about those movies, you know, where it's like just the whole kind of movie feels gloomy. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like the things happening in the movie are sad or upsetting, but it's just like, it's gloomy. It's like what people think about Seattle. It's like, it's always cloudy. You know, that's kind of how I felt. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't, you know, super, the world is over type mentality. I was just like, this sucks, but you know, it is what it is. I got my life yeah. to live. I still got other things to take care of. I still got to, you know, try to be there for my teammates throughout this week and get them ready for next week and things like that. Um, and, you know, I just, I did my best to, to put the good face on when I needed to. And when I didn't, I was, you know, I was just accepted what it was. Um, luckily my roommate at the time was one of my best friends growing up in Bellevue. 
he had come out to Montana. And so I was living with somebody I knew cared about me and loved me. Um, my mom, I think, stayed out that week just because she knew it was going to be a tough week for me. Um, and so I, I had a good support system around me and I had a lot of good friends there and a lot of good people who, you know, cared about me and helped me make sure I was okay. And I'm just, I'm never been somebody who lets that kind of thing really tear me down. And mm-hmm. so between, you know, my support system and just, you know, my mentality, I think it was tough and it sucked, but I knew at the end of the day, my life wasn't over and there was so much more I had ahead of me to live for and, and go for and, and do. And so I wasn't going to let it tear me down. As a linebacker, what do you feel like makes a great linebacker and, and what makes them successful? I mean, like we talked about earlier, it's if, if you can mix somebody who has the mental and physical ability to do everything they're asked about, you're a great football player at any position, right? Um, as far as linebacker goes, I think there's so many different ways you can be a great linebacker. I think we had a ton when in my time at Montana. I think about, you know, Brock Coyle was really, really physical. He was really physical, and he had so much effort in everything he did, and that made him a really good linebacker. I think J.P. Conangata was athletic, kind of sneaky athletic, but he, again, was really physical and really fast. Everything he did, he did full speed. You know, I think about Jordan Tripp. Jordan Tripp was just a freak athlete, you know. Um, And then you think about that next year with me and Herbert and and Maya. I think we were three different players, completely different players. Herbert was the athlete. He was he was similar to you know a mix between Jordan and and JP Conangata. He was fast. He was physical. He everything he did was quick and full speed. Um, you know you need somebody to run somebody down. He was your dude. You know he was usually the fastest guy on the field. Um, and you look at Maya. Maya was just a a smart and physical player. You know, like me, we, me and Maya weren't the best athletes on the field at any point. You know, he'll, he'll tell me to speak for myself on that one, but <laughs> we, we just weren't, you know, but he was a strong and physical football player and he was smart. And so the plays he would make, he would just, you know, he'd run up there and hit him right in the mouth. He knew where they were going. He'd get there and hit him in the mouth. Um, and so he, he was, he was that kind of linebacker. And then I was the, you know, the, the mental linebacker, everything I did was calculated. Everything I did was seen and understanding where they're going, how they're going to get there. And my job was to beat them there or meet them there, you know, one or the other, but I got to make the play. And so I think there's so many different ways you can be a great linebacker. I think it depends on the scheme you're in, the system you're in, um, what you're asked to do. Um, but I think for the, for the most part, if, if you want to get the best combination, Obviously, it's that that's that mental and physical ability to do both and do it at the right level. Um, but I think really it, it just depends on what you're being asked to do. I think Maya was a great inside linebacker. He's a great middle linebacker because he was asked to hit people and be in the right spot, and he did that. I think I was a really good inside or weak side linebacker because I was asked to tackle. I was asked to you know be in the right spot and understand where things were happening and that's what I did, you know? And then you think about like JP and Herb, and I think, you know, they were really good linebackers because they were asked to be athletes and be able to make plays in space. And they did that. And so I think, yeah, it just really depends on the position you're playing specifically. And then, you know, what you're asked to do. A great linebacker is great at what they're asked to do. You know? Yeah. So after the season, what did you do after your senior season? Yeah, I did. I I went through the whole process. I remember um, me and Coach Ty were talking about it 
He was like, do you want to try and do that? I was like, I mean, I figure I'd give it a shot. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like one of those things where it was like, it was not make or break for me. It was not going to be the end of the world if I didn't make it. I knew that I was limited as far as athletically. You know, my back had kind of hampered my athletic growth. I wasn't getting faster. I wasn't necessarily getting stronger. Um, and so it was kind of like, take it or leave it with me. Like I wasn't a guy who was going to go to the, you know, pro day and, wow anybody it was kind of like if you liked my film and saw what i did and, and thought i was good enough to play then give me a shot if not it was probably wasn't going to get a shot but i did the whole training thing and you know went through that whole process and it was fun and it was good for me physically because i got in better shape and you know i lost some weight but it wasn't it wasn't game changing i didn't become a better athlete or get any better in prove people that i was a great athlete you know yeah i just i did the training i went and did the pro day um i did a couple cfl tryouts and immediately knew that there was no chance i was playing in the cfl they all wanted me to play man coverage i was like i haven't played man coverage ever (laughs) not not just not in montana ever i was not a man covered guy especially not when they're running full speed at me at the snap like no that's that's not me you want me to play zone? You want me to, like, I can do that. I can read quarterbacks. I can understand route concepts. But you want me to cover this guy and he has the option to go any way on me? He's probably going to beat me three out of five times. <laughs> so not, Canadian football, not for me. Thanks, but no. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was just, I wasn't big enough to be that middle linebacker spot. Kind of like Maya went up there and did where, you know, you can kind of be that true linebacker. They wanted me to be that outside cover linebacker stuff. And I was like, you know, if you if you had found me in 2012 and told me to get ready for this, I would have been fine. But it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, know, I, I am what I am now. And so, you know, I did those tryouts, did a couple of those things and just kind of wanted to make sure I gave myself a chance to see if there was an opportunity. And but I wasn't necessarily banking on it. I knew that, you know, I wanted to be a coach eventually and I was ready to move on to it. But, you know, I I wanted to exhaust all the potential playing options first. And I did that and I didn't get a chance. And you know, I wasn't bitter about it. I was ready to move on and start coaching. So that's what I did. Nice. I believe, did you follow Ty to uh, Montana State? Yeah. So I actually, I came back to to Bellevue, um, Washington, my old high school, and coached there for a year. I was the defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator there for a year. Okay. Um, and then Coach Ty called me kind of in the spring, late spring of 2017 and said that they had a little intern spot open. Um, and for me, I was like, anything I can do to get into college coaching, I'm ready to go. And so yeah. I packed up. Within that week, I was I was in Bozeman and trying to figure out how I was going to convince myself to be a Bobcat. So. <laughs> how was that? Like, I, I'm sure, it, you know, once you're in it, it's, it's a lot easier. But to get your head around, uh, I'm a Grizz. How are people going to react to this? How... You know, was that hard? At at that point in my life, it was not as hard as it, I think it should have been. Okay. I think between having Ty there and still having those emotions that I had towards Montana and, you know, the, the new staff, which, again, I want to be clear. I have no problems with anybody on that staff. Yeah. Um, now, emotional high, our college, Kendrick, might have had some frustrations. Um, <laughs> and so... At that point, I think I was still lingering in those frustrations. Like I felt that, you know, there was my senior year was kind of upended by, you know, the the stit regime and and that kind of stuff. And I just really I was looking for somebody to blame for us not being as good in that 2015 season. 
And so that's what I was using. That was my cop out. And, you know, was it his fault at all? No, it wasn't his fault. He was just a college coach trying to run a college program. Um, but for me at that point, it was his fault, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that's what my mind told me. And so um, that helped a little bit, that that kind of frustration still going back to my senior year and then having Ty there. It was like, you know, this is this is just as much home as anywhere else right now, you know, because my coach is here, um, football's here, and I have we have a common goal. You know, we were trying to win football games. And so, yes, it was a little it was a little difficult, you know, every once in a while. I remember there's one time, you know, there's the whole FTC chant at Montana <laughs> and yep. the FTG chant yep. at Montana State. There was one time where everybody was chanting FTG. And I didn't realize it, but the whole time I was saying FTC and oh, no. the line coach looked at me and was like, dude, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, no, it's the other one now. Uh, my bad. Funny. It's just, it's ingrained in my head. And like, I remember, you know, I would, I would sit there and I bet guys, like, I would just be talking to them and they all knew, you know, they knew I was a Grizz and I was like, guys, you know, I want to win every single game this year and I'd love to beat the Grizz, but this is hard. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. very difficult, you know? Just because I am like I'm, I'm a grizzly, you know. And yeah. again, once you get into coaching, it's one of those things where it's like your your affiliations are personal and professional. You know, you have two different ways of doing it. And for me, the grizzly were personal, but everything else was professional. And so um, I think about guys like you know, like Mick Delaney, who coached for the Grizz and the Bobcats. You yeah. know, is he a grizz? Is he a Bobcat? I don't know. I remember I, I still get texts from Coach D. And when I was at Montana State, I'd get texts in two different group chats. You know, one was with me and my Montana teammates. One was with me and my Montana State coaches, yeah. you know, because he knows guys like Jeff Choate. He knows those guys like Matt Miller and all those guys. And so it's just it's funny to see professionally. It's such a different mindset. Um, and that's what kind of I started to learn that year. And it made it less hard is like I wasn't coaching for my college rival that year. I was coaching yeah. for my job <laughs> and yeah. my employer you know um and so like it didn't matter who my you know who my allegiance was to as far as personal stuff because professionally it was going to be toward the bobcats and in the washington or in the um brawl of the wild it was toward the bobcats because that's who i was a part of at that time and yes it was weird at first and you know rooting for them outside of when i was working there is not something i necessarily always do um but like we used to say we wanted the bobcats to win every game except for that one against the grizz you know yeah and so it's still yep. the same mindset for me especially knowing i know more people who are part of the bobcats program now than i do that are part of the grizz program yeah. and so i root for the bobcats all the time because at the end of the day i want montana to win yeah you know montana montana state doesn't matter to me unless they're playing each other Yep. You know, and even then at this point, I remember last year, I was like, I want the Grizz to win. And then we were in the office because we have, I think, eight or nine coaches here at Oregon State who have been part of the Brawl of the Wild and been part of Montana or Montana State. And I remember I was talking a bunch of trash. Go Grizz, go Grizz, go Grizz. <laughs> Montana State wins. They're like, oh, I'm like, you know, honestly, I'm OK with that. Go yeah. coach Choate, you know, go yeah. coach Miller, go coach, you know, Army, all those dudes, BJ. And so it's funny because it's like, you know. I am a Grizz at heart. You know, I'm a player. I played for them. That's where my heart is. But professionally and, and you know, even relationship-wise, go Cats too, you know. Yeah. But go, go Grizz first. Just to be clear, I know that some people are not going <laughs> to like that. I am no. a Grizz fan. Don't get it twisted. Go Grizz. <laughs> we them Grizz. Nobody can stop us, okay? 
We're going we're going to get that dub. But, you know, if, if they're not playing the Grizz, man, I want the Cats to win every other game. Yeah. As long as it's not the national championship, they can win all the games, but right. I would like to beat them. Yeah. I, I, right. Yeah. They so, got some work to do to catch up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to we need to get caught up in the the, the series again, so. Right. Um, right. Right. How long did you stay at Montana State and then you, I I think you went over to Oregon State? Yeah, I was there nine months. That's nine it. months. Okay. Yeah, I got there in June and I left the next March. So okay. I did the internship through the season and then, you know, the internship didn't pay in the spring. So I was, you know, still working there, but I was also had a different job. I was working, working at Universal Athletic. Um, and then I got, you know, the call from Coach Lange, who had just gotten, who had a couple months prior got the D-line job here at Oregon State. And, you know, he said that, they were looking for a GA. And so, you know, I, I said, let's do this. I'm, I'm all in. Um, just let me know. And so then they, they gave me the job and I moved down here in March of 2018 and have been here ever since. Awesome. Awesome. So going into, or knowing the Grizz, I don't know. Do you follow the Grizz much these days? I know you're pretty busy. Um, I try to, but I've, I'm I'm the worst football fan in the world because I I tend to only focus on what I'm involved in. Yeah. And so like when I was a Grizz, I only focused on the Grizz. You know, when I've since I've been a Beaver, I've only focused on the Beavs. And so um I have a hard time keeping up. I remember people ask me, who are they playing this week? I'm like, hmm, good day. You probably yeah. you probably know better than I do. I haven't looked. Um and so the only the only real time I'm really tuned into what's going on there is, you know, that Grizz Cat weekend. This is okay. You know, who's who's coming in, who's gonna win, especially having ties to both schools now. Um it's it's always it's even more interesting than it was, you know, when I wasn't tied to either for a little bit there. Um yeah. and it was just go Grizz all the time. Now it's a little bit more interesting because you know I'm I'm watching from a professional standpoint and a personal one. You know, I still want the Grizz to win, but when I see, you know, Coach Choate or you know, their defense or somebody making a good play or getting a good call. And I see some of those kids I was coaching at Montana state making plays. I get a little excited too, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's a weird feeling, but yeah, I, I'd say that's really the only week I'm really involved in thinking about and keeping up with those two teams. Um, especially just because the turnover and the change that have happened at Montana, it's, I'm not, I don't have a huge connection there anymore. You know, I don't, I know some of the coaches professionally now, um, but as far as like the players, I don't, I don't think I know any of their players anymore. I don't, I think it's finally at the point where the players that I knew there are gone. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, it's, it's just now it's, it's, you know, Grizz cat weekend or, you know, anything professional that comes up from it. That's what I keep up with. But you know, I still got to obviously have that place in my heart for the Grizz and want them to win every game if they can, but you know, if it if I see it on ESPN, I see it on ESPN. If not, then I probably don't know until somebody tells me, type of thing. Yeah, it's probably hard with your schedule too, with being a, a coach too. So, <laughs> usually playing when they're playing, so I can't watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with uh, COVID, um, the, the lovely COVID that we have going on, as a former player and now as a coach, do you have any reservations about playing this year? Like, would you, if you were a player, would you play? Man, that that was one thing. I've had a couple players, you know, just who are having a hard time trying to make those decisions and talking to them and stuff. And I think it's such a personal decision. And it's one of those things that 
you know, nobody has the right answer for personally, knowing me, knowing my body, knowing my health status and just being fully kind of in the loop with our team doctor, who's the head of the, you know, the committee who's working on it for the PAC 12 and having the information I have, I think I would, um, I think I would play just because I am pretty comfortable with my health. And I, I, you know, I think that in the situation of me contracting it, I'm, you know, mature enough and smart enough. And even back then was to be able to do the quarantine, to be able to stay away from people, to do all that stuff. Um, but I, I, I understand the concerns people have for sure. I mean, you never know what people are doing. College coaches can't control what their players do when they're not <laughs> at practice. You know, we can't tell them, hey, when you're not at practice, you're in your dorm no matter what, you know. Yeah. And so it becomes now how much do you trust your teammates? How much do you trust, you know, the people around the program who are going to be around you? And for the coaches, some places, yeah, you're you're having a hard time because some of those coaches, young coaches, things like that, want to do things, go, you know, hang out and be around friends and stuff. But most for the most part, coaches tend to be at the office or at home. So you're going to get, you know, that's not usually where it's going to come from. It's going to come from those players, those freshmen, those, you know, those red shirts who aren't playing, who got their, you know, new friends on campus and are trying to get used to college and want to go to parties and hang out and stuff. And so it really comes down to how much do you trust your teammates? Um, how much do you trust the people around you? What area of the country are you in? You know, are you in a place like Seattle or LA or, you know, one of those big cities that got it going pretty bad or are you in a place like you know missoula or corvallis where there's not much of it um and then you got all the students coming back from places like that that have it going on a bunch and so it's it really just comes down to you know how much how comfortable are you with your health and your understanding of your health and and um how comfortable are you with taking that risk and there's no right or wrong answer. Some people are going to say, let's do it. Like if I get it, I get it and I'll deal with it from there. Some people are going to say like, I don't feel comfortable putting my life and, and my health in the hands of, of other people like this to this extent, you know, cause there's a yeah. hundred and hundred plus people on a team and one person gets it likelihood is other people are going to get it too. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, how much do you trust those people around you? Those 150 people who are, you're going to be around every day to have a season. Do you trust them? at that level. Um, and so, you know, there's no right or wrong answer because even if you do trust them, that doesn't mean they're going to do it the right way. Even if you don't trust them, that doesn't mean they're not. And so it's really just such a personal decision for so many people. And I just, I had, I've had a couple conversations with players telling them that like at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you and knowing, you know, that, that you have options, you got to use, utilize them. Uh, don't feel like you have to play. Don't feel like you shouldn't play. You know, make the decision for yourself and understand that whatever comes from it shouldn't negatively affect you to the point, you know, where you would regret what you did. Um, nobody else is going to look at you in a bad way because you choose to not play. Um, just like people aren't going to be mad at you for playing, if that makes sense. Because at the end of the day, it's not their life. It's not their choice. Exactly. So you got to you got to go to it and you got to make the choice for yourself and do what's best for you and understand that, you know. It's it's more important that you live your life comfortably and happily than taking unnecessary chances that you don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. So the Grizz, you know, we're the big sky they're playing in, in the spring, um, which probably will will start in February. As a former player, uh, how do you feel about that? Because I think Missoula, it, we're we're 
it's still pretty snowy in February. <laughs> yeah, man, I feel bad for them. I feel oh. bad for them. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people have been surprised um, that I've talked to kind of since I've left Missoula when they ask like, Oh, you guys have an indoor though. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 no Mon- Montana doesn't do that, man. Yeah. And so like, I, I feel bad for them because it's going to be cold season it's going well, and to I believe be, Montana State's that way though too. Though they don't have an inside. They don't facility. have an, Yeah, they don't have an indoor. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I just I feel for them. It's gonna be. I mean, it's gonna be fun no matter what. Ball's ball, and you yeah. know we all we all had winter conditioning in that cold weather. We you know we had practices in December and things like that. So you know we've been around the cold, but they got to play a whole season in it, and it's gonna be an adventure for them. But that kind of thing only only makes teams stronger to me. It, it's it might not be the greatest season. It might be a great season. I don't know, but I think it's going to make that program and and those players a lot stronger going through something like that. Exactly. So, as a former player, do you feel like uh, student athletes should be able to be paid somehow and form a union? Oh boy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to throw tough, you into the bus on that one, but tough <laughs> question, sir. Um, I think I don't know about the union stuff. I haven't looked into or understood much of that because I've never really been approached with it affecting me personally. Um, I probably should look into it a little bit more. I think as far as the pain thing goes, though, I don't think they're in the wrong in what they're trying to do. I think the understanding of it is a little skewed because not every player is going to get paid. You know, yeah. in the uh, allowing these players to use their image, name, and likeness, or whatever, whether it's video games or commercials, things like that. Like nobody wants your second string punter in a commercial. You know, yeah. No offense to second string punters, but like you're not going to get paid any different. You know, yeah. your backups aren't going to get paid. Most of the starters aren't going to get paid, and if they do, it's going to be very little. Um, people are going to get paid, or those you know those star players, those those outspoken leaders, things like that. And then on top of that, what a lot of these kids aren't understanding is you get paid, you pay taxes. Yeah. Right. So you, yep. you're, you're bringing all this stuff back onto yourself that you're saying we should get paid. We should get paid. We'll be pre- prepared to now have to pay taxes, be prepared, you know, to get questioned on that stuff, to fill out a lot more contracts, to be in a lot of different binding situations that you didn't have to worry about before. And so, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily just the money aspect of it that I think these, you know, players need to understand. I think they should get paid. I think if you're, you know, putting your body on the line and, and putting your health on the line every day for the entertainment of other people, you should get paid for it. Now, I just I caution players and, and young men and women to think about, you know, you have to have an understanding of what you're doing. You're going to need people to look over those contracts. So now you're paying lawyers. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to need people who have your back setting you up with situations instead of random people calling you out of the blue because they can put you in bad situations. It becomes business now. You're no longer just a football player, an amateur football player, having fun, enjoying the game, and doing what your sports information director tells you to do. Now you're doing things with people who have no interest in your well-being but only in their promotion of their business. So you might sign a contract that you didn't read through all the way through, and now you're stuck doing things for them for the long term. Or you might be put in this really tough situation where now you're expected to do something, but you don't think you have time for it. You know, your your school might suffer because you're over here trying to do a bunch of promotions when you should be doing your homework. Um, and so I I do think that the the paying these players for their sacrifice is is important. I think 
they need to understand the repercussions that come from turning this into a real business for them. You know, there's a reason the NFL players have the unions. There's a reason that, you know, they have lawyers, all of them and agents is because that stuff's not easy to handle on your own, especially as a young, immature college kid. Um, And so I just think that that's a big thing that they need to be aware of. I also think that it's not overly necessary. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who, complain about college players not getting paid enough to live and all that stuff and that's a load of crap dude you get played you get paid enough to pay your rent and pay your bills and get to and from school they're not you know this that's what you need that's what you get paid enough to live and you usually have a little bit left over and the people who don't are the people who are recklessly spending who are you know buying extra groceries um that they don't need or buying, you know, new jeans or, you know, chains or, you know, new clothes or whatever subscriptions to random things that, you know, they're just buying extra stuff. They're trying to live in luxury. Um, it's usually the people who don't have enough money to live off their scholarship checks. Um, and to me, that's, that's just immaturity. Yeah. And so I don't think they need to get paid more than they do, especially with the cost of attendance thing going or cost of, uh, what is it cost of living? Whatever they already up to how much people are making, you know, or how much these scholarship athletes are getting paid. So I don't think they necessarily need the extra money. I think it's always nice to have extra money, you know. Yeah. Even me in my situation would love to have some extra money. Um, but I think they just need to be very, very conscientious and aware of what that business aspect of sports and entertainment is going to do and what it's going to bring with it. Nice. So where do you see yourself in five years? Coaching, yeah. coaching, maybe big sky conference. I want to be coaching somewhere. Cause that means yeah. I'm, I have a job. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm committed to this coaching thing. You know, I, I am one of those people who, when I want something, I commit fully to it. I did it with football while I was playing. I'm doing it with coaching, you know, while I'm getting into my career five years from now, my goal is to be working my way closer and closer to becoming a DC where i don't know for who i don't know you know all that stuff is so fluid in this industry um and in this profession to where my focus is is just more on where i'm at now and doing the best job i can and you know hopefully people see that and it helps me get jobs in the future but you know the my goal ultimately is to be a head coach um of a program and wherever that is whenever that is like when i get there is when i get there but right now you know, my focus is to do the best thing I can and the best job I can here at Oregon State. So hopefully that allows me to get my next job. And then from there, I'm just going to do the same thing there. And, you know, as my timeline goes, it, it'll happen how it happens. I'm not going to stress too much on making a 10, 5, 5, 10, 15 year plan of where I want to be at each point. I just I know where I'm going and I know that I'll get there if I just focus on what I'm doing now. That's awesome, man. Hey, I greatly appreciate you coming on uh, and talking with us. And I wish you the best. I'll be cheering on Oregon State for, for you and, and wishing you the best, man. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's 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 awesome to be on. I love talking about the Grizz and talking about ball. And so, you know, I'm going to go watch some football. It's almost almost that time on this Sunday, which is awesome that we get to watch football. And, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on here and and you know, getting to reminisce a little bit on the Grizz days. That's going to do it for another episode of Fight on Montana. I'd like to thank my guest Kendrick Van Akron for coming on the podcast and spending some time with us talking about his career at the University of Montana. 
Thank you to the listeners that are listening to this. Uh, And until the next time, fight on.